I think everybody, every leader needs to treat every staff member in that regard. Treat, treat your staff like children, but don't treat them like children. Hey folks, welcome back to the Registers Podcast, the show that's about improving the life, well-being, and productivity of mechanics everywhere. I'm your host, Mr. Joshua Taylor, founder of Wrench Turners Online and business development at Fixed Ops Marketing. On today's show, I get to interview a great leader. He's passionate, he's knowledgeable, he's experienced, he was a mechanic, Nicholas Lenahan, branch manager at Murphy Hoffman Company. On today's episode, we talk about mixing the ketchup with the mustard, mutual respect, and all stick. Yeah, all stick. First, before we jump into the show, I want to show a little bit of gratitude. I don't show it as nearly as often as I'd like to, but there's a list of folks and shows that I listen to on a regular basis or I watch on a regular basis to help become a better person, become a better leader, a better interviewer, a better man, a better human being. Russell and Charity, What the Fixed Ops podcast, Chris and Peaches, To Be Better podcast, Haley Filio, The Parts Girl podcast, Shasta and Jess, The Chicks in Charge podcast, Jay Gunnanen, Beyond the Wrench, Dave Foy, Fixed Ops Marketing, no, Fixed Ops Mastermind, sorry, <laughs> sorry Dave, Joe and Eric, Service Drive Live, our Sunday staple, Jeff Compton, a newly found podcast, Jeff Compton's Jaded Mechanic, Paul Meyer, my very first guest appearance on a podcast, Paul, Meyer, Paul Meyer's Sunday Night Live, and my very close friend, Corey Smith, The Fixed Ops 5. Folks, if you haven't been listening to these, if you haven't checked them out before, please do. The link is on uh, LinkedIn. I've got the links to those folks and where to find their shows, as well as, um, well, let's jump into the podcast today. All right, let's get into it. So, and now, to be clear, is it Nick, Nicholas, Nikolai? I, I I like Nick. I, I like Nick, but hey, there's certain levels where I, I like to have it as Nicholas. If it's going out, uh, doing a presentation or something like that, I'll, I'll make sure it's a little more. Nicholas, it is. Uh, but, Nicholas, yeah. it is. And uh, I, I had that same kind of conversation a couple of years ago. Um, my birth certificate says Joshua. My mother calls me Joshua. Um, I realized that one of the few things we talk about psychology and I talk about empathy and so on and so forth. One of the most important words you can ever use is somebody's name. And my mother had a reason for calling me Joshua and whether I believe in her belief system or not, um, I respect her, the effort that she went through, the hardships that she went through. My, they got, you know, she was 18. Lots of bullshit happened early on in her life. I'm one of that pieces of bullshit, but she got through it. She got us through it, and I think if if nothing else, um, I use my name. Yeah, I like it. Uh, I like Nick sometimes, but in certain situations, it feels like it cheapens 
the sometimes I yeah it feels the, like it cheapens it a little bit I don't mind if someone hasn't asked for my name and they see things in passing and it's so common that someone says hey Josh not right. a problem but if some motherfucker says, hey, how you doing? You know, who are you? Who the fuck are you? What, tell me about yourself. It's like, I'm Joshua Taylor. Okay, Josh. <laughs> fuck right off. <laughs> fuck right all the way off. Like, yeah. that's, that's, that's one of those moments where you have such an immediate knee-jerk reaction to somebody that you have to fight every urge not to punch a motherfucker. It's it's such a small thing, but it is such a tell to potential arrogance or mind uh, thought processes to be able to just so casually just just that's like a I don't know it it, it seems like such a, a small thing, but at the same time it's like wow that that was. That was pretty cocky. I mean, hey, we don't know each other, you know. Just told you my name. How hard is it just to say Joshua? Mm -hmm. I, I don't. I don't know. It's just, you know, nowadays, it's, I just it frustrates me some of that stuff too. It's like, hey, you know. It's challenging because you can level the playing field, and and we talk about this, and, and I think you were you were part of that conversation on SDL last week when we were talking about empathy. Like it's it's empathy is very simple thing to do. It first requires listening. It first requires listening. You chew on it and then you respond accordingly. But if you're not listening and you're not paying attention and you're not thinking about how to respond accordingly and you just knee jerk respond, that's when you get those. You get impatient responses. You get unthoughtful responses. You get not uh, unempathetic about that way it's a, just if not empathetic responses and these are are common common mistakes made from both sides of the coin we're talking if, if we want to get deep into the weeds before we get in even into the beginning nicholas right. it, leadership and technicians make this this mistake regularly like it, it's such a simple thing to do for everyone across the board just to pronounce a name properly, or at least make the effort. If you don't know how to pronounce someone's name, like they say their name and it's like, fuck what? What did you just say? Right. Like, pardon me, can you, can you phrase that again phonetically, or do you, do you mind saying that a couple times? I'd like to be able to, be, to respect you and your name. I'd like to learn how to say it properly. That kind of, that kind of effort is noticed, that kind of effort also can carry through other parts of your communication. And I've seen this on the shop floor. I've seen this in leadership meetings. It's, you can instantly completely close a, a room by not pronouncing somebody's name right, especially when everybody in the room knows how to pronounce name right and you fuck it up. Right. It, it's, it's amazing, like... I, I do a lot of leadership training for my guys and and I have over the years and I've listened to some of your stuff and it's it's amazing how people are just like in awe of like common sense, common courtesy, core 
care about your guys. Don't don't use and abuse your guys. Don't degrade your guys. Oh wow, that's amazing. Wow, I've never thought of it that way. Jeez, I'll I'll share some stuff on LinkedIn and people are like I'll just put truth and it'll be something like take care of your guys so that they take care of your customers or something like that. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's amazing. I never thought of it like that. Like this is all common sense stuff. You know, just common courtesy. Treat people like humans. Um, you know, when I when I talk to my the, guys, you've got a you've got a challenge there, Nicholas. That you're here's and this is this okay. Well, let's spitball here a little bit. Here's sure. a challenge that some of our generation and the majority of the inbound generation isn't getting. They aren't getting a solid voice at home. I had the luxury. And and uh, and curse, as it were, like I shared earlier, that my parents had me very young. My mom was 18, and they divorced when I was two. I spent the majority of my early life almost completely one-on-one with my grandfather, who worked crazy amounts of hours, but every waking moment that he had outside of that, for the most part, that I understood, he spent with me. I learned from him. My grandmother was home. She was like at the age, I don't remember what age it was, but she, once they had closed down the shop and one da 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 da, she stopped working and she was home full time. I don't think she was home full time because I happened to be around. I think she was home full time because she could be. It made their household work. And I'm sure. not saying that that's the best case scenario for everyone, but when you have a person at home teaching certain things, it starts at that age. And then you get out into the world and you talk about 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old people that aren't getting that kind of leadership that starts at home and then works its way into school. Now, these the last couple of generations, so to speak, as I understand it, because now that I'm my 9-year-old isn't necessarily is definitely not getting it at school, they aren't being led at school. They aren't being almost, taught how to lead. Yeah, we're... I would say the number one problem facing America, or at least Western civilization, is poor parenting. I, I'm, a, I'm a firm, firm believer in that. Um, you know, I've got an 18-year-old son, and it was almost as if school was unteaching everything that I taught him. You know, I grew up in the military. My dad was, you know, in the military. Uh, you know, we had strict upbringing, but hey, it all equated to if you work hard, uh, you got to play hard, and you know, it was a it was a a reward system based off performance, and truly that has been one of the biggest drivers through my success in my career. Is everything is performance based. Nine times out of ten, anything and everything I can do or do is quantitative. I'll have a data. You know, saw so the numbers go up here because I did X, I did Y. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the common sense stuff. You know, take care of people. I I was dealing. I've I've had a mantra for many years, and it's I only like when I have to fire someone, for instance, I only fire someone for two reasons. They either can't do the job or they don't want to do the job. Personality issues, all that stuff, I can get past that. We're all people. You never know what someone's going through at home. I, I remember I was I was a service manager, and I had a guy come up to me, and he, would te- he tended to lean on the vocal side, and he would come in, and he... I just hired a new parts manager, and he was chewing my butt about which zip tie we had bought. 
these things are chintzy, they're not the right thing, they're going to, the, the, the UV rays are going to cut through this, and I mean, he laid into me, you know, is borderline disrespectful, and then I said, you know what, we'll find some panduits or something, and we'll, we'll get you, and then he walked out the door, and the parson manager goes, man, how could you let him talk to you like that? I was like, well, one, I need him to go back out there, it's 110 degrees outside, and go work, and get the stuff finished that we, we promised to the customer. Two, I have no idea what he's going through. As long as he didn't cuss at me or cross any lines, I let the guy vent. The guy needs to have a place where he feels like he's heard. Now, I'll probably circle back later and talk to him and say, hey, you know, I prefer if you have to have this conversation, we go for a walk in the parking lot or, or do it away from other employees because I don't want my hand forced either to have to write you up or do some sort of counseling. Um, I feel that's a much easier and a much more powerful way to lead. You know, leaders nowadays, they're so keen to just bring the hammer down and I want instant respect and I'm going to write you up with paperwork or fire you. Hey, I didn't hire you to fire you. I hired you because I thought you were great for the job. And yeah, I typically when I get an outburst like that, uh, there's something else going on. And so rather than jump to my immediate defense, it's dig a little deeper. And I'll give you a perfect example. Yesterday, not to go too long, literally happened yesterday. There's a, I'd just been at this branch for three months. There's an employee that every time I've interacted with that person, it's it's been very uncomfortable you know this is how it's going to be this is what we're going to do this is what i'm going to do blah, blah, blah. and i'll play the passive aggressive role because i kind of want to let them get some stuff off their chest and then finally yesterday i borrowed a porta cool because i was working out in the shop and i was like dude it is brutal out here it's 90 something degrees it's humid uh for whatever person's mindset they put the office right behind it with the ac it's got one of those uh hotel air conditioners and it was so you know it's pumping the heat right onto the guy the foreman who's doing the paperwork i was like oh. i was like who in their right mind did this and i looked back and i was like dude there's a portal not being used i borrowed it she came in the next day because she was off and she she saw that it was gone and she took it right back and i was like hey you know you know don't you think if it's gone you should probably ask some questions and she's like i did and they told me that you took it and i i took it back because it's mine and i was like Let's talk. And she's like, oh, no, this is how it's going to be. And I was like, look, why is it every time we interact, we have this problem? And then I was like, I've never gotten in my career this way by letting people talk to me this way. Uh, I'm not going to continue moving forward like this. We've got to figure out what's going on. Let it out. Tell me what's going on. And she just started crying, crying her eyes out. She was, She had a bunch of things going on at home. She's a very powerful person, independent, strong, um, and you know she had some legitimate issues that she brought up about, you know, interactions she had had at work that were affecting her 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 mentality. And she, I mean, she ended up crying and giving me a hug, and um, we are like this now. And uh, I I told her I was like, look, you, I can't fix things if you don't tell me about it, but I can't let you 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 you, you burst like this every time. I can't walk around you on eggshells. That's not my role. My role is to help you, but you you got to let me in. And I think I think I think she'll be a manager one day. I mean, I truly do. I think she cares. I mean, she's she's very thorough at what she does, like very thorough. And caring is probably the one uh, metric that I can differentiate the most between a manager and an employee. Hundred percent. 
So. Hundred percent. And and you can t- you bring it up in in that way that you allow them to vent. You when somebody goes off, there's likely a reason that has nothing to do with just happened. And I I bring up my son. My son is a perfect a per like even more so than work because it little people do not have. They don't have a, a reason why. They don't understand why yet. They, he just... Something happens during the day that completely put him in a, in a some kind of way. And then he when he gets home, because he feels safe at home, he goes off. We don't know why. Right? We have no idea why he's having a complete meltdown that the ketchup touched the mustard or or something like that, which is never the case for him, but I digress. Right. When he go- goes off like that, it's, it's okay. We have to remember that we have to be patient. It's like, hmm, something's right. not something right. Wrong. Something wrong. And then you try to be – that's the moment of parenting. Right, that is not the tantrum. It's the gap. Right, it's the gap between getting them to calm down enough to talk to you, and then talking to you, not screaming, not shouting, not carrying on, whatever. Not the I told you so. Because I've been there. I've I've been that jackass who realized that I just shouted, and there is absolutely no reason for me to do so, because he's emotional and has no idea why and something else is affect him i think everybody every leader needs to treat every staff member in that regard treat treat your staff like children but don't treat them like children right, right? empower give them, them give them the give them the tools to be successful but no offense as a leader you should be able to pick up the cues way before it gets to the pressure po- pressure pot you know, boiling over a point. You should be able to pick up if someone is not themselves, something's wrong. I love peeling back the onion. It's one of them, it's, hey, breaking someone out of their shell and getting, especially getting someone who, you know, is typically very aggressive um, and abrasive to to open up and, and then, man, I, mean, I made sure I, I came in this morning, I made sure I went back and checked on her, whereas I used to just dread going to that part of the building let alone uh, interacting with them. Now it's your favorite part, right? Yeah, now we went in there, we, you know, we shot the shit for, for a good 20 minutes, and you know, it, was, it was like nothing ever happened. And it's great. Mm-hmm. And everybody, everybody knew we were, going, we, we were getting through some stuff because everybody would walk back, and I'd be like, go, go, turn around, walk away. You know. And you know, afterwards, everybody you know, wanted to get into that whole, you know, what, what happened? It's like, she's going through some stuff. It's none of your business. You know, and but you can, you know. The one thing that I'm, 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 I wouldn't say I'm struggling with, but it's, it's overcoming at this location is like, you know, you've ever been work, you've ever worked for someone, a, a leader that you know couldn't give you that time, couldn't give you that leadership, and it affected not only how difficult your job was on a daily basis, but how you felt and everything. Hey, it, it's hard to, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of walking up to a dog that's been beaten. You can put your hand out all you want. They're afraid to come to you, uh, and that's why you know you see the you see the stories all the time, right? You see the videos all the time. Dogs are the 
like one of the best examples in that regard, right? They're so traumatized for so long, and sometimes it doesn't take long. Like I've seen, a spe- like horses are uh, super, super sensitive to this. Yep. I, I watch them on a. I get occasionally I get horse feed stuff through my my TikTok and whatnot, and you see these wonderful people who literally spend hours doing absolutely nothing just to try and rehabilitate a horse, and you see them, and it takes. Sometimes it takes months to what can happen in 30 days or less. It can happen yeah. in 30 days or less, and that happens to us too. On the shop floor, it can happen to us too because you see repeated re- – and this is, happens uh, on the shop floor frequently when you get high manager turnover, right? Service managers in, in most facilities in America right now, uh, service manager turning over about every two to three years. You know, yeah. that's a, that's yeah. a great – punching bag. Right? Because they're punching bags. They're hum- uh, big-time punching bags, right? So the ones that can't handle it, right? the ones that cannot handle it because either they don't want to, like you say, you don't want to or cannot, those are the ones that are constant turnover. The unfortunate thing is not only are they damaging themselves being in a position that they shouldn't probably be in, they're also damaging the team that they are in theory leading because the team isn't getting anything done because they're not getting the stuff that they need from the from their leadership down. But because their leadership is not able to handle those things, it's infiltrating the shop. And now you get toxic customers in the shop. Now you get toxic service advisors in the shop. Now you have a, a leader who's not capable of being that barrier. They're, they're supposed to run defense, right? Your leader is supposed to be offense and defense. And if you have toxic up front, your leader is supposed to run defense for you so you're protected in the shop and you feel safe in the shop because it is hard damn work. You talk about 100 degrees in the shop floor, well you do that while you're doing something critical. You put tires on in 100 degrees, you better damn sure make sure they're torqued because that is the time when you leave shit loose. That is the time when stuff, you know, customer goes down the road and the tire goes down a different road. That shit ain't good. No. And it requires high-value leaders making sure that they're running defense for you. And if you they aren't, you get a whole other ball of wax. And that yeah, leads us into how did you? That leads me to the first question. You, we've been talking about you know dealing with empathy, dealing with emotion, dealing with with employees with challenges. You're now in a major leadership role. Let's go back to the beginning. What got you in? What got you into this trade? So I'll be honest with you, growing up, I, I wasn't Mr. Booksmart. I wasn't Mr. 4.0 GPA. Um, I figured things out very quickly. I was a, a problem solver kind of mentality. Um, and so I started off actually in Votech, which I, you know, I truly uh, support and wish was way more prevalent in our education system as it was when I was growing up. Uh, it, it gave me something to be excited about. You know, the, the, the mantra of you have to have a degree to do anything or be anything in your life uh, was was beaten like a, a drum all day, every day. And so this made me feel like I had a path. So, you know, I started off in Votech and I, I used to do uh, VICA uh, co- uh, competitions. And, you know, I was like sixth in the state of Virginia. Quick pause. For those who don't know what it is, what is VICA? Um, if I remember, it's like Vocational Institute Careers of America or something like that. I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, it was an automotive uh, preventative maintenance uh, tournament that we were in, and they were basically mm-hmm. a sponsor that would say, hey, you know, you take a, 
it was like our football, you know, tournaments and stuff like that. You would have your best kids from this Votex school go against another Votex school, and um, so it was it was it was fun. So I joined the military as a diesel mechanic, and uh, you know, you combine something that you love to do, and then the leadership portion. You know, the military ingrained that very quickly. I got I was a non-commissioned officer, um, and you know, the biggest terrifying aspect of being in the military is the getting out part. Um, they don't prep you, or at least they didn't when I was in. I mean, they would give you about a week where they would teach you how to write a resume, and that was it. You know, you just went from six years of you literally had to kill someone to get kicked out to, you know, now you look at someone the wrong way, they can fire you. You were bound by a contract before, and now you don't have that, that sort of warm, snuggy blanket of protection. Um, and so after I went out, you know, I got out into the the instructing uh, portion for the military. I did that for the Department of Defense for a while, and I enjoyed it. I mean, teaching was was fun. Um, teaching the soldiers was great. Staying in the mechanical field was awesome because you got to stay with the latest and greatest technology while at the same time doing something that you enjoyed to do. Um, but it did get repetitive, and so eventually I did go into leadership, and I went and got my bachelor's degree uh, on the side. And uh, after I got into trucking, uh, you know, I just I just knew that was right for me. It was it was very similar to the military, the structure, um, and it was enjoyable. And if you're good at it, uh, you know, you make good money, really good money. Um, you know, and for instance, when I left Texarkana which is the last dealership I was at. I was a service manager there. I'm a branch manager now. Um, I took a picture with my team at 11 o'clock in the morning at lunchtime. And before I left at 2 that day, they had already sent it out, gotten it framed, and brought it back. And it sits now next to my desk um, as a reminder, you know, of, hey, man, it's all about the team. It's not about me being the boss or or anything. I don't I don't walk around and make people call me sir or anything. Uh, it, it's about the team. And once leaders realize that, man, you're going places. You really are. Uh, it's amazing at, and, and I've said this time and time again, and I will say it time and time again, a high-value leader will change somebody's life. doesn't matter what that industry it is. should be the goal, right? That should be the goal. 100%. It should be the first rule, and, and I say this from, as a, from, from a mechanic standpoint, but again, it stems any industry. The most important thing to do when looking for any employment, any contract employment, anywhere in any industry, is you need to find a high-value leader. You need to find someone who's willing to teach you, coach you, educate you, and pay you. You get all of those things from a high-value leader. You will get maybe one of those things from anybody else. You might get none of those things from anybody else. But if you get all four, it is life-changing. I've had that, and it is life-changing. It changes your energy level when you go to work. It changes your energy level leaving work. It changes your ability to make money at the thing that you're doing with them, especially. It changes your ability to make mother money in other ways. You can support other people in other ways because they teach you how. It, it allows you to branch off in your learning to either specialize or generalize, depending on what you want to do. High-value leaders change the game. 
but it's hard to find them because they are so rare, right? right. They are so very rare. You had you had them, right? You had them in the military. You had them coming in. You and then you became one, like yeah. When I got out of the military, I, the first place I went was with KBR, Kellogg, Brown & Root. It's a defense contractor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, it was uh, really powerful going from military where when I say jump, you say how high. If not, there are real-world physical consequences, you know, uh, to telling someone to do something and then pretty much having the ability to say F off, you know what I mean? And that literally happened to me. You know, my first job out of the Army was as a general foreman in Iraq. I had 43 employees. I was 24 at the time. Uh, Of the 43 employees, 75% of them were over the age of 45. Um, You know, I got the job because I had pushed myself to learn everything I could, and I had a bunch of certificates to kind of back my my role. and so in the beginning, you know, I came in guns a-blazing like I was in the military, and it it was brutal. F you. I don't have to do that. But, uh, I was taken aback. I was like, I'm not used to this. I don't know. <laughs> what am I doing here? Uh, I told you to do something. You do it. You know what I mean? Um, and so I literally had to sit back, and that was one of my first, like, aha moments. So... I went and I let those guys, those mechanics, again, you know, it's 100 degrees outside. We're in tents working on, you know, semi-trucks, basically. And I let them teach me stuff that I already knew, and I tried to humble myself. And then when they were struggling on stuff that I knew, um, I would teach them. And over over that period of time, we built a relationship where it was one out of mutual respect um, and I, ha- I had to, I never really had to learn that before. Before, you know, the military trains you, if you're wearing the rank on your chest, you know, they will do what you say, plain and simple. And so it was, it was a big lesson in humbling me and, and earning and giving respect that, you know, went on throughout my career to, you know, transform. And, you know, basically I was introduced into servant leadership um, from a mentor of mine. Uh, and it really changed my perspective on it. And then, you know, I've been making sure that I spread the, the word to as many people as possible. It's actually one of the reasons that me and you kind of intertwined uh, mm-hmm. our relationship at, uh, to begin with. Uh, I love to get the message out. You know, when I left Texarkana, as another example, everybody got promoted pretty much that was in the secession training. So I took the time to, over those four years that I was there to make sure that my foreman knew how to do my job. My service advisor knew how to do my foreman's job. And then when I left, they literally just moved into the slot. The magic stays. The mentality stays. So the numbers and the productivity, everything stays. The biggest problem with, and even with high-value leaders, is they take the value with them when they go sometimes. If they don't share it, with the people that they are mentoring and growing, then you're never going to get any more high-value leaders. Yeah, it's a little bit about mm-hmm. me. Yeah, I can pat myself on the back a little bit and say, oh, I made this much money and I did this and I do that. But really, truly, the biggest moments of my career have been the legacy or the leaders that I've grown myself. Yeah, that's a true testament of a great leader is how many leaders did he leave in his wake, right? Um, I think, I think that is... 
if there was any measurement of success of a leader, especially over a long enough timeline, is what happens when they leave? And I think you can have, and I've talked about this recently, but that, that wonderful trust over performance graph that Simon Sinek uses uh, yeah. to gauge how the, seal, how the SEALs choose people to go on SEALs Team 6, I would rather uh, high trust and mid or high trust and even low performance be over high performance and low trust. Good leaders will be maybe low trust, maybe medium trust, maybe medium to high performance, maybe. But the, the really high value leaders will not only be high performance, they will also be high trust and they will be able to almost immediately create development plans for the team, uh, succession plans for the team, so that when they leave, because they will, high value leaders never stay around very long. Why? Because they want to go to the next stair on their path. Sometimes they accomplish a goal with a place in six months. Sometimes it takes 16 years. Depends on how big the goal is and how big the place that can accommodate it. But if they leave and all of a sudden performance drops, morale drops, trust drops, production drops, all of those things drop, they weren't actually a high-value leader because they hadn't created systems and processes and policies to make the team just run without them. As right, they the, go up the, the stair, the other person should go up the stair too. Exactly. It's just as it, 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 you almost want to create lemmings in that regard, but not because that they don't, they just follow blindly, but it's that... I'm going up the stairs. I'm making sure that you can go up the stairs too, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. So awesome. And it really goes so, back to hiring. Exactly. It really goes, it, it really goes to hiring the right we, person. We talked about it today. Retention starts during the interview process. Yes. And and it, it's an interesting. Uh, I I thought about this about six months ago, and I was trying to uh, trying to come up with some a, a way to write about it, and I still haven't written about it, but. Coming back out in, in, in something that happened today, retention starts at the interview process. If you aren't hiring somebody who fits culture-wise, environmental-wise, uh, however you measure your internal working environment, if they don't fit, and you don't have to fit perfectly, but if they don't fit even 90% of the way, you're going to have struggles with retention of that potential new hire because they don't fit. Now, yes, do you as an employer and they as an employee need to have the ability to be adaptable? Yes. But that really only can go so far. Right? It really can only go so far. I don't even hire for skill hardly anymore. I hire for humbleness. Are you a teamwork player? Uh, are you willing to learn from someone younger or older than you? Um, I'll, I'll, I've used this phrase a million times. I can teach you anything. I just can't re-raise you. I can't mm. teach you the core values that you need to have to start off. Being humble, being that sponge, learning, <laughs> listening, uh, showing up on time, showing up dressed correctly. I'm going with, through it with my son right now. Just got him a job interview. He, he I told him, I was like, okay, you know, he's, he's got one of those beards that just doesn't fill out very well like ours. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm like, dude, it needs to go. When you go to the interview, you need to set your first impression. Once I get to know you, if you want to grow your beard out and it looks like it's all patchy and stuff, then you can do that. And, and, and he went to the interview without it. And I was like, 
why? He's like, well, I mean, they should know who I am. And I was like, that's not what you what you're trying to sell here. You're trying to sell your potential to them. And so, you know, today was his first day at work. And, you know, I told him, I was like, make sure you shave. I was like, present yourself presentable. And then you can grow. Once you build relationships with your customers as a service, because he's a service advisor is what he, he just became for a dealership. Build your customer base. They know you. Then if you want to grow your beard out or, you know, dress a certain way or whatever, I mean, as long as the employer is, uh, you know, feels it's within their standards, then you already know these people. But people are going to judge you based off their first appearance. And no mm-hmm. offense, it's just the way the world works. Um, and so, you know, I make sure if I go anywhere presentable, I go, I make sure I get my beard lined out and I make sure it looks all nice and professional. Cause if, if it's a regular day, I'll have it growing out through the bottom here and I'm just like ready to go to bed. And so, yeah, I get it. But, you know, teaching him to make sure, Hey, make sure you're 15 minutes early. Well, they're not paying me for that 15 minutes. No, but it means something. I if you're 15 you. minutes early, you're on time. If you're on That's time, right. you're late. That's right. And what's the... If, What's that other phrase? And my buddy Sean Armour will will chime in. Dress for the role you want, and I'll add work like you're interviewing for it. He's a he's a he's a he's a hammer, but you can't yep. tell someone you're a hammer. You got to show them, right? So I was like, dude, right now you got to get in. Maybe first. he needs to get hammered. Like what's what's the the the. The, the nail that sticks out get hammered. So if he sticks out, he's going to get hammered. If he sticks out off enough, he's going to hammer enough, and he's going to learn his own lessons. Some of us learn that way, and it's the only way we do learn. And it doesn't matter how much our parents tell us, we are still going to learn that way. And it's not until some very insightful, uh, for me, very father figure-like, not father, but father figure-like, who, um, for lack of a term, beat the fucking arrogance out of us, because my first foreman did. He, for and, and I keep saying it, he knocked the arrogance down enough notches for me to listen. And he taught me enough, regularly enough, for me to understand how little I knew. So I shut up and listened when I needed to. I still struggle with that, but he is the reason I am even remotely close to the way I am now. I have a long way to go. I think we all have a long way to go. But that, it required outside sources to our fathers in order to realize that they, our fathers aren't just talking shit to try and get us to do what they want us to do. They are, really do actually know something about the world that we should listen to from time to time. Yeah, it's it's amazing. My wife does the same thing. I'll be like, five plus five is ten. She's like, no, it's not. And then <laughs> even someone he absolutely hates goes, you know, he's right. It is five. five plus five is ten. She's like, you know what? Five plus five is ten. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me here? I just said that. Well, it came from oh. that person. Even though that person, I hate every bit of my soul, they're right. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> killing me. I know. I know if I, I know if Kaylee or Kate's listening to this right now, that the, the standard phrase is when 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 your wife is doing something and she can't get it right and she can't get it right and then the phrase comes over, so why don't you do it the way your husband told you to do it the first time? <laughs> and uh, when it hilarious. comes to thinking, I am always wrong. I'm okay with that because my wife is exceptionally intelligent. 
Like, she's right. got uh, a doctorate in, like, three degrees. She Not only should she be uh, ed- uh, very well educated and very intelligent because of her education, she's just all around way smarter than I am. So I try to... I, I, I am trying to be better at keeping my mouth shut when she says, this is this, this is this, this is this. But when it comes to just about everything practical, I am more often right about everything practical, but we must do it. This is me learning to be empathetic. This is me learning to be patient. Let's do it the way everybody else wants to do it. Let's do it that way. We're going to fail. It's not going to turn the way, out the way... If it doesn't work, okay... I have learned that I am not supposed to say I told you so. <laughs> but I've got an idea. Let's try something. Perhaps. I mean, before we did perhaps. anything. Perhaps. <laughs> let's do it this way. I may and have had this idea from the beginning, but let's just, let's just see how this plays out. You know, it, it's, it's funny you say that. My wife is very smart, too. She's actually a sixth-degree black belt in Taekwondo. We met in Korea oh. while I was in the Army. Um, she was going to college there for Taekwondo, and uh, she is just super common sense, no bullshit. I'll kick you in the ass if you try to give me some BS. Uh, she's just a big old spark plug. She's four foot eleven, five foot, and she'll you know when you're at a party and you're you're talking shit, you know your wife will be like, oh stop it, and hit you on the shoulder. She'll snap kick me in the ass. I'm like. That's when I know it's okay. We like cross the line. I just dial it back a little bit, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's great how I we compliment our wives. I I can imagine. I'm just trying to think because my son's uh, got his probationary black belt in Taekwondo, and I'm trying to think what would that be like if my wife, who is five foot four, six degree, and black can belt. squat and can squat my weight. And what would happen? What would happen if? No, that would be bad. She can yeah, squat my weight. So, it's not fun. I'd, Sit with me. My wife is a powerhouse too. When we first met, she just to prove her prowess with me, she could stand right here and she would kick her leg right here, back and forth, just to let me know, like if you get out of if you get out of line, I can just. Put you no, on the ground. I'm sorry. I did not catch where she's from. I'm I, Nepal. She is from Nepal. It, now I know it's a very a Thai and very uh, Latino thing to get out the chocolate. Is it the same thing? Uh, like, they you know, a, immediately the sand comes off, and I. They're very stick. Uh, now she can throw that thing like a sharpshooter, and it'll hit me in the back of the head. Uh, <laughs> But it's typically because she's running after me, and <laughs> she's got a dead, got a dead shot that hit me right in the back of the head. Um, but yeah, no, they uh, they use what's called a lati, and that's a lati is a stick. Like if I need to go get a stick and beat your ass. Uh, so. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's amazing how we compliment our wives. I mean, exactly. uh, I'm more of the functional, common sense side of her, very very smart book side. And so they mm. both kind of compliment yin and yang, you know what I mean? So, so you, you're afraid of your wife's kicks, and I'm afraid of my wife's thumb because I never said I was she, afraid. <laughs> you're afraid. Yeah, I've been married you, twenty you say, years. You're not. I'm you're not on video. You're on. You're yeah. Okay, fair enough. I was terrified for the first five years. Uh, somewhere <laughs> around the year, and I was just like, you know what? It is what it is. 
Let's just say it. See what happens. Uh, that's that's one of those. Uh, maybe it's not a good idea to fuck around and find out. Maybe it's not a good idea. Let's let's hey, let's hey, let's be cautious. That's how I, let's... That's how I got so strong because I <laughs> fucked around a lot and found out a lot too. She was very, very happy to teach me these lessons. All right, so let's 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 see if we can bring this train back around to topic here. This is sure. good though. This is good. So. You were in the military, you worked in, and then you, uh, you were at a service, uh, you were a service manager in Texarkana, and you're now a branch man- manager of a large MHC store um, with a lot of, uh, you've got in-house and mobile techs under your purview. Um, yeah. Tell, you know, what is it, for those who don't understand, what's a, what's a typical day for you overviewing, how many, how many do you have on staff between parts, service, mobile? Forty. 40? Yeah. What's it, um, for for those technicians out there who are in uh, could be whether automotive or or HD mobile whatever. What are some of the key ingredients beyond the stuff that we've already talked about that got you where you are beyond obviously work ethic and education? So I mean our biggest mantra that we. Uh, MHC push and it's it's a great thing because it's not just a platitude it's actually it truly is uh, echoed throughout the management structure is that take care of the give the employees the best working environment and you'll give your your customers the best uh, customer environment um, and and that's hey you know they give me the authority and as a service manager they gave me the authority to to admit when I was wrong and make things right and uh, Hey, that affects the bottom line sometimes, and it affects you know it could affect the bonus or something like that. But if you truly take care of your customers and you admit when you're wrong, and they don't have to call you on it, they don't have to try and force a lawsuit or something like that. You just you can get in front of it and say, hey, I as a grown man messed up. I was supposed to call that part in. I didn't call that part in. Or yes, we put that part on wrong and it broke or failed. I will take care of this. Hey, that mantra right there, taking care of the customer at all costs and not just a platitude, while at the same time doing the same thing for our employees, it's, 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 it's a catalyst you can't explain. Um, the customers, you, you, you totally take away any of the frustration that they had. Yeah, they're a little frustrated still, but the, the butt-chewing, the threats, all the stuff that they were willing to give because they've given it before because... In the past, other people don't admit when they're wrong. They they fight them tooth and nail, and hey, that is the secret sauce right there. Take care of your customers. Take care of your employees the best of your ability. The rest will fall into place. I promise it will. And that's that's not just a MHC thing or a diesel dealership thing. That's a every dealership thing. Now I'll give you a perfect example. I bought. Hate to even say it, about two hundred thousand dollars worth of pickup trucks in a year. Uh, we'll get into that story another time. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, between accidents and trading trucks out and stuff like that, I spent about two hundred grand at this one dealership uh, in Texarkana. And it was time to get my boy his first truck. And I saw, you know, a used GMC Sierra. This was like 2021, 2022 time frame. So prices were right up mm-hmm. there. And I walked in there and I was like, look, man. There's a GMC Sierra out there. It looks really nice. Uh, it obviously was a painter's truck because the bed is just covered in paint. Would you be willing to make me a deal? 
pull up my account, you can see how much money I spend with you. And this was the sales manager, and his immediate response was, don't worry about it. We're not going to adjust the price. Uh, someone else will pay it. Have a nice day, sir. What? What? I was like, uh, I turned around and I said to him, I was like, look, you know, when this feast of GP and profit that you're getting right now is over, you're going to need people like me to be loyal back to you after this is done. And he didn't care. Now, I happen to know the, someone very close to the owner, and this guy's got like 15 dealerships. He's huge. And I just put a Google review. I didn't say anything. I just put a Google review and said, this is what we got into. And it took going all the way up to the top, someone seeing that, for that, that guy to call me back the next day and says, sir, we'd love to make you a great deal on this trip. I'm like, no, we're done. Own it up. Hey, I can do this. I cannot do this. This is what I can, I can't do. Uh, I'd love to help you in some way. Something. But some people are just so callous with the way they interact with customers or the way they deal with damage control or situations um, that it is just absolutely disgusting in our industry to see, you know, some of the people capitalize on on these people. They just, you know, they'll rack, rack the tickets up and then they'll say, well, you pay the bill or we're taking your truck, you know. I've, I've just seen it all and it's, it's, it's truly amazing to see that if you just take care of the customer, man, Word of mouth is not even, it's true. They'll, they'll spread the word. Um, and we're already seeing it here, you know, at my location that I just took over. You know, a lot of fake promises, a lot of, you know, putting their feet down and saying, you know, it is what it is. And now we are, we understand and we're here to help. And, I mean, it, it's night and day compared to where we were before. And it, it truly just takes understanding. Now, as a branch manager, you are like five human punching bags uh, because you got to take all the punches for all the sales people, all the parts people, all the body shop people, all the service and mobile maintenance, all the customers, all the employees, they want you. And then your bosses above you want a piece of that action too. Like, oh, leave mm -hmm. me a rib. I need to break at least one of those, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you're a human punching bag to the 10th power. So I would, I would say to all you technicians out there, uh, when you when you try to lean in and get a couple hooks into a, a manager, we're human too. You know, we 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 take quite a beating, uh, and there's a lot of things we don't share with you guys because we don't want we don't want to burden you with it. But hey, it's it's lonely at the top sometimes. It really is. I think one of the, a couple of things to take from there. I'm you know, just trying to chew on it a little bit. One is uh, accountability. If you're turning wrenches anywhere and you want that chair, you want that seat, you want that role, you want that title, you want that money that comes with it, the money is never as good as you expect it to be. It's good. The chair does have some perks, but it's never what you expect it to be. You, you know, I, I recall the first time... I had an opportunity for a chair. The very, very first opportunity that I had one. I thought I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm gonna make a hundred grand. And the official offer was presented, and it was half 
what I thought it was going to be. Half. So, be a, understand that there's a lot of things that come with being come with uh, getting that chair, getting that position, getting that role. One of them may not be money. You might be learning a whole lot. If you're not learning or earning, that's a problem. If you associate value to that, then there's a problem. Right? It, it, it's it, every role is learn or earn or both. It's awesome if it's both. It's great if you get one, but if you're not getting either, pass on it. So, and where am I going with? I'm going to try try and refocus this here back. Account learning to be accountable for yourself is a great way to start the journey to be humble, start the journey to be patient, start the journey to be empathetic. Because being accountable for your own actions means that you can learn how to take on the accountability of the team. If you're leading a team, you are accountable for the team. It means no matter how bad they fuck up, it's still your fault. Yep. End of chat. End of chat. I don't care if they completely ignored all of OSHA, they completely ignored all of common sense, and they were told what to do and still did the wrong thing. It is still your fault as the leader. Period. Yep. However, it's also your fault and your responsibility for correcting all of these things to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Either it means that you need to show them to down the road mothers, or you need to change how you train, change how you hold others accountable for their role in the process of the team. Part two in there that you also said is, is and that I've already kind of reiterated here, is patience. You know, things take time. You were, at, you were in Texarkana for four years, and you learned a whole lot. But after the end of the four years, with a whole lot of time, a whole lot of energy, and a whole lot of investment of yourself into yourself and into the team, you had a team that wanted to make sure that you were a, that they were a part of your life going forward like that. That's a, that's a really big deal. That means that you invested in them, not just on a professional scale, but you invested in them on a relationship scale. That means that they're going to remember who you are and what you did for them. Not from necessarily just a professional standpoint, but from a relationship standpoint. And you've taken all of those learnings in that four years, which also means that now in this new role, you've accelerated the things that took you four years into you know, 60, 90 days in. You're already seeing to see some of the similar results. It may not to be the, the astronomical value that it was in four years, but you're seeing a phenomenal set of repayment on investment quickly. Accelerated learning. And that is going to double down because you improve the working environment of the team. The team sees that you're taking action on improving the working environment so that they can, you know, just, you know, you shared the story about the, the cool, the, the AC machine. But for some reason that the really inadequate design of the shop, you've got heat literally being vented on your foreman. You're doing what you can to try and make their day better. And it's those small things, right? You know, I've had conversations with leaders who don't grasp that it's far more important for you to take care of the little things because the little, when you take care of the little things the big things take care of themselves because yep. they'll take it care they'll take care of it for you correct so it, it's amazing that's really great powerful. things to learn that's really powerful when covid hit 
you know, one of the things that most companies did is they would posture themselves to protect, so that they didn't have to lay people off. MHC was no different. Um, they they put us in a position where, hey, look, you know, some of the the, the things we got to do before, we're not going to do the, for right now because we're we're trying to see this thing through. We want to make sure that we can take care of all our employees. We've never laid anybody off. We want to keep that mantra going. So they they took away expense reports in the aspect of you know like buying the shop lunch and steaks and stuff like that. Um, for me though, it was and it's it's just something you won't see with a lot of leaders. I probably spent about twelve. $1,200 to $1,600 over that eight-month span, making sure my guys got steaks, make sure that my guys, you know, got icy pops and and stuff like that for, you know, those hot days because, hey, mm-hmm. we're not being able to spend that money on you, but you think I'm not going to make a bonus or, or somehow reap a reward from your productivity and I'm not going to, I'm not going to put some sort of effort back into you. I'll, I'll reap the, the dividends uh, of, of my investment of that $1,200. I'll read that somewhere else. Don't worry. Um, but it was, it was very important for me to make sure that my guys understood that they were taken care of, that it wasn't all just work. It wasn't all just about money. I can call any one of those, any one of my employees right now. And I'd probably say at least 10 of my customers and they'd give me and my family a place to stay for the night if I needed to. If I said, Hey, I'm That's in town. Huge. I don't have money. I can't get a hotel. Would you let me and my family sleep here for the night? I could, I could hypothetically, I can guarantee every one of my employees would probably say yes, and then uh, I would say at least ten of my customers would would welcome me and my family in with open arms. And that's just purely because I didn't care about just the business. It was about getting to know the people. It was about taking care of the people. It was, hey, my business is only successful if their business is successful. So hitting them with the highest labor rate every time, it's not. Yeah, it's not beneficial to to the long-term growth. This is about relationships, not short-term That's gain. reciprocal business. And this is this is something that you have to get really into the weeds. Even though it sounds like it's common sense, it's really not. You made a phrase, you made a really epic phrase right there. If their business isn't successful, our business isn't successful. So if you invest in their business, and this is where shop local really comes from, in order for you to have sustainable business, whether it's a, an automotive dealership, a heavy truck dealership, any maintenance-based repair, in order for you to have something to repair, service, or sell parts for, that business needs to be successful. How can you help them be successful so they, in turn, bring their business to you? This is not necessarily a simple question to ask, right? You're talking about 10 customers that you think you could call. Can you give one example that you can share of how you, quote-unquote, invested in another business in that cyclical nature? Yeah, so we have a lot of businesses that, uh, you know, they don't typically revolve around nine to five. The trucking industry has never been a nine to five industry. Matter of fact, there's only a handful of MHCs that are not open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, purely to meet the needs of our guys. Um, I feel myself uh, as an advocate for for my customers between me and the OEM. Um, I, I hold both hats, I feel. That's how I feel. 
So I'll give you a perfect example. I won't name any names, but there's a certain red motor out there that was having issues and uh, to the point where they were prematurely dusting uh, engines due to a failed uh, O-ring that was not, uh, the rubber wasn't com uh, compromised, uh, wasn't, the, the chemistry wasn't done correctly. So they would prematurely uh, dissolve, which would allow for dirt intrusion. Um, on a diesel engine, when you need compression, hey, that, that, that can be kind of pretty vital if you wear down those, uh, those rings very quickly. Um, it doesn't take long. However, however they typically, uh, this particular uh, OEM is, hey, it, it, can, it can be a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of uh, hurdles to go through. We do not have, they have a 1-800 number, so you do not have a direct relationship with, say, a representative or somebody that could fight on your behalf. And so typically what you'll see in most dealerships is when something like a dusting happens on an engine, no OEM covers dusting. It's typically an easy button. Hey, the engine's dusted. You need an overhaul. Uh, it's going to be $40,000. Have a nice day. You know, mm -hmm. um, where, you know, if, if I look at the facts, and that's what we would do is we'll typically look at the facts and say, okay, truck's got 112,000, 150,000 miles, 250,000 miles. That is in its infancy for a diesel engine. These should be 800,000 to a million mile motors. Hey, let's dig in, do some research. And then we went out and we went on a fact-finding mission that took me three months for each, and we ended up getting that manufacturer to pay for five overhauls to get those guys back on the road. Now, it took me three months of each, and I had the chip-in money of my own to make sure that when that customer walked away, he walked away with no bill whatsoever. But at the end of the day, when you talk about maybe a guy who has 10 trucks, if five of them go down and each of them costs roughly $40,000 to fix, you're talking bankruptcy. You know what I mean? It, it, it could crush. These guys use their vehicles to support their families. And if not, if they ever get big enough to have more than a couple, support other people's families. And they're proud of that, to be in a part of their community as a, as a steward to provide good-paying jobs and take care of those families. So if you were to lose half your fleet, to be down for three months. That's three months of no pay for five drivers. That's three months of payments you're making on those trucks every month with no income coming in that they're producing. And then you're fighting someone not to have to pay a 40 something thousand dollar bill. Hey, guess what? You know, people don't forget that when you go to buy it for them. Because I easily could have said, hey, guess what? They don't pay for that. Have a nice day. Mm -hmm. And you can either pay me $40,000 or your truck's not going to go down the road. It's worthless. Um, so, hey, finding that moment where you can help and you can, you can play the advocate for both sides is, is very powerful to the customer because the customer wants someone to blame. And guess what? When you're a manufacturer or where you work for a dealership, you represent the OEM. So you're forward-facing to the customer. You're the guy that they get to walk in and they can actually say, hey, your Kenworth, you know, your Audi, your Kia, you broke my car, whatever, you know. And so, you know, that's exactly what I said to my OEM, my manufacturer. I was like, look, I'm the one out here forward-facing to this customer. The facts don't line up. The facts say something else is going on. This doesn't seem plausible. And if it is plausible, it does not seem the fault of the customer. 
and I'm going to fight you guys on it, and we're going to win, and we're going to we're going to all get through this. But this should not be the the fault of the customer. And I'll tell you right now, that's I'm very close with that customer now, um, and you know it could have changed their whole operation just that one moment. It doesn't take much, and sometimes we that's forget. It was like a lot of we, paperwork we, and energy to do that, though. That didn't have to be done. You could have easily just said, hey, man, it's dusted. That's I mean, that's three months of phone calls, Zoom calls, data, driving an hour and a half to get pictures, samples. You know, But here's the thing. That way. Nicholas, here, so here's the thing that dusted. many don't understand and, and many technicians don't understand yet because um, the whole reason for the podcast is, is to educate to well, and entertain, but educate <laughs> and make them better because fundamentally nobody cares. Fundamentally, Absolutely. nobody cares how much work that it took you. Nobody cares. What the, the one person that might care, and they won't really care how much work you had to do to get it, they only care about the outcome. But in the circumstance, this particular customer knows you went to bat, knows you could have just said, hey, you know, go fly a kite, go pound salt, it's 40 grand, and you didn't. They know the process because you communicate to them, you know, they're going to cover it. They're not going to cover all of it, but they're going to cover it. But you know what? I think they should cover all of it. And because they're not covering all of it, I'm going to cover the rest. That kind of bat swinging isn't going to go unnoticed. Because that customer, A, they're going to be loyal forever. And B, they are now a walking billboard with with an equivalent $200,000 sign that says, this is what this shop this leader did for our family, our business, our community. Because you're talking about a business like that. Now, this is a little different for dealerships when you're typically talking about one customer in one dealership. Now, it's never just one, right? It's never just one, right? right. Because you get you get Mr. Smith in, and guess what? You're probably going to get Mrs. Smith's car, too. And you get Johnny Smith's car when they're 17, and you get... Dana Smith's car when they're 16, and now you got four from one if you're a great business, right? And it only takes one bad experience and you lose four. It, but it took you four years to get go from one to four. Right. Now, you put you a similar circumstance where you have four and you get an opportunity with Mr. Smith's car where it dusted engine, so to speak. You go to bat... For somebody like that, you go to bat and you get that kind of result for Mr. Smith and his and his car. You will likely now get spouses of Johnny and Dana. You will now get friends of Johnny and Dana. You will now get the, you know, you will get Mrs. Smith's Cards Club and the Book Club. They'll come into. That's the kind of story that you want to give. Now, the flip side of that, you'll get leaders who say, "Well, that's going to cost me so much money. I'm not going to throw goodwill like that. I'm not going to give out that." It, guess what? Give, 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 give. Don't ask for anything in return because at some point there is a threshold. You shouldn't expect it, 
but there is always a threshold that at one point you have given so much, and it's hard to do, you give so much, and then all of a sudden, things starting start to explode in a good way. And you say, why is the drive-thru full? Never full. The drive-thru's full again today? Well, what's going The drive-thru What do you mean we don't have enough techs? There, every, every stall is full. What, what do you mean I have too much work? And that's give, what basically give, happened. give. And that's, and that's where we're at, right? You've given. You gave. I can only imagine the amount. I, I can't imagine because I've kind of been there to, to some degree. But three months of effort for what is effectively five units, we'll call it. It was three months each unit. Three months each unit of yes. something that is literally sitting in the back of your mind every single day. So, okay, I need to spend 20 minutes doing this today. I need to spend 20 minutes doing this today. I need to spend 20 minutes doing this today. I mean, and that's like in continuous roll until it completes. And then perhaps there's another one in continuous roll in con- every single day. That amount of mental energy is gigantic. And we're talking to, you know, I asked the question earlier, you know, what are the, some of the things that um, technicians can do to learn how to get into the kind of role that you're in, how to be successful in the kind of role you're in? You're talking about patience and accountability. Mental mindset, your men- mental energy. If you can figure out how to cut down all the stuff that doesn't serve you in a day so you're only doing the things that serve you, if it doesn't, you know, and, and my rule is, if it doesn't help me, my family, my business, I don't do it. I don't doesn't if it doesn't serve those three things, I nope. Gone. See ya. Bye. It's getting cut because we have so little time in a day. The last thing you want to do is waste energy doing something that doesn't serve you, and it's hard. Because you have to also choose. It. I'm talking about giving, right? Right. Giving is indirect. It still serves you. So it's it's right. tough to split those split those hairs, but patience, accountability, um mindset, mental toughness, resilience, those are the kinds of things that build great leaders and it and you've gone through it and you've had to you've had to live it, eat it, breathe it. And you don't discriminate. So I do the same thing and give the three months for the guy who's got one truck versus the guy who's got 50. And that's how you get, you know, I heard, I heard a manager trainee say once uh, for another company, you know, he, he, he had been graduated from college. He was working for the company, for a company, uh, as a manager trainee in the service department. And he was working for major brands and he was like, F the little guy. And I was like, whoa. Oh, grab that beer come sit with me this was you know a function and I was like sit down let's talk you know he's like well yeah you know I make all my money off the big ones and stuff like that I was like here's the deal I was like you take one guy with one truck two trucks whatever you take care of him you grow his business and he'll grow your business and he'll bring ten more with him they all grow their businesses and guess what that relationship you built with that person will last a lifetime. You're going to build a relationship with a guy who works in, you know, XYZ trucking company who's got a thousand trucks 
And like you said, that guy's going to burn out in four years or move to the next level in two or three years, and you're going to get another guy who every time you get a new guy, that guy's got something to prove. I can cut cost here, and I can do this there. You mean nothing to that guy. You are at his will. He feels he has purchasing power based off the amount of stuff that he does. You're going to have to compete with every Joe Schmo out there because your labor is competable against everybody. There's nothing proprietary about it. He can go anywhere. He can compete against anybody. But you build a relationship with a guy when he calls you at 2 in the morning and says, hey, I'm broke down in Mississippi. I know you don't have any dealerships out there. Uh, they said they can't get me in for two weeks. Uh, and then you pull up your laptop real quick and you remote into their truck and say, this is what the code is. Uh, let me call them real quick and see what I can do. And you take five minutes out of your day. It doesn't happen every night. Otherwise, it would be a, I would turn my phone off. But... <laughs> but you're there. You're, you're there when that guy needed you, and uh, you knocked it out of the park for you. And hell, half the time during normal working hours, it's hard to call some of these dealerships and even get get to a human being there, let alone a service manager. Oh, let's manager. let's not go down that rabbit hole because I, I I'm I'm Marshall and I have talked about this as well. It's let's not go down the phone calls to the dealership rabbit hole because that is a whole conversation on its own. And anybody in the dealership world, that, phone, man. I like, give everybody my cell phone, and I help everybody I can until I don't have anything left to give. Um, and that sweat equity will always pay dividends. And quite frankly, you know, it, it's fun to me. It, I enjoy, I get a I get joy from being able to solve problems for people. Uh, the guy that I started off who had one truck who bought the truck from us, he now just called me yesterday, and he's got seven trucks. And he spends about $100,000 a year in maintenance on, on him with us. Hey, like, that's a beautiful success story. Guy went from nothing to now. He doesn't even have to drive anymore. He sits at home and dispatches trucks all day. And he gets beautiful. his checks and he's got mailbox money. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's a success story. Some people don't see that as anything. But to me, that's a success story. So there's, really so there's two sides of that coin. So... I've had I've, I've referenced it before. My um, my dad was a very successful. He's a, an accountant. He's a very successful accountant. When he left uh, the corporate world and started into uh, wealth management and started to grow his book, and, you know, he bought a book of uh, book of business from somebody. Um, you know, it was it was enough to get him going, so to speak. And he grew that business over a period of time. I don't remember what the timeline was. But I remember having a conversation where he's like, I'm, I'm, he didn't say struggle. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm working a lot. Like I, I work a lot. And, and I know when my dad uses that kind of phrase, it means he's working a stupid amount of hours. Like our, our family right. mantra is work hard for fuck's sakes. Like right. it's when he says I'm working a lot, I, I know he's stupid amount of hours. And it was like he was hitting a, a financial, like his income plateau, business revenue through the business plateau. And I, I know I'm going to say this the really long way, so forgive me, folks that are listening and watching. But the idea is he got to a certain point in wealth management. They kind of call, I think they call them households. So the number of households in their portfolio that they're managing, and then there's a value on the households, the whole portfolio. So, for example, and I'm, I'm not going to say what the number is, um, but conceptually, 
he had, uh, uh, we'll call it 100, ha 100 homes in the portfolio, and the total portfolio that he was managing is 20 million. We'll call it that number. And he was at a plateau, he was at that plateau for like two years. It's like something, like he's working his ass off and he's not making any more money. And, and obviously he's doing well for the portfolio, but he's growing the portfolio. The, what's in the portfolio is growing, but the fastest way for him to accelerate his growth is to get bigger fish, so to speak. Homes, homes in that portfolio that have more revenue and more income and so on and so forth. Sure. In it. So... But he was maxed out on time. He couldn't, you know, he couldn't get more. So he took a risk. And what he did is he sold off 15% 15, 15% of his business. The the quote unquote bottom 15%. They weren't bad business, but it was business that wasn't that was really high amounts of energy and time with not necessarily high value in return for him. And he sold that sure. as like a, a, a small book of business to a, a new... Uh, some guy who needed his start. Some guy who needed his start. But in doing so, and taking that risk, and taking a gigantic chunk, chunk out of his income for 18 months, he almost 10 x the value of his portfolio in 24 months by removing the most time-consuming part of his business. So in your use case, in dealership use case, whether it's mobile, whether it's HD, whether it's dealership, automotive, power sports, whatever, one thing I would suggest to any dealership manager, dealer principal, service manager, is to look at the value of all of your customers. And if you know you have some customers that are less than valuable, it's okay to fire customers because the last thing you need in your service drive, in your shop, is a customer that calls every 15 minutes. Even though you know you have a service advisor process that calls before, that calls the appropriate time for updates so that you don't get constant calls. If you get somebody who calls anyway on a regular basis throughout the day, even though they're getting the proper updates, getting the proper so on and so forth, it's okay to fire that customer. If you get a customer yeah. that comes in and is constantly demanding, it's okay to fire that customer. And where we're relating this back to your your small business customer, small businesses can be the most profitable businesses over a long enough timeline. If you invest as a as a service leader, if you invest in those small businesses early and you keep investing in those small businesses early, like you said, guy started out with one truck. Now he's got seven. You're now looking at $130,000 a year of maintenance revenue through this small business that wasn't small, right? It, sorry, it isn't small anymore. Yeah, that, that moved him to like top three for our right? branch. Um, and so, I mean, hey, to your point on firing customers, luckily, knock on wood, I've never had to fire a customer because I think training goes both ways as well. I train my customers. I make sure I take them and sit them down and I explain to them what's going on. And I explain to them if we get to a point where, hey, they're, they're just becoming, let's not say obnoxious, but they're just time consuming. You know, I'll, I'll typically take them on myself and say, hey, call me if you have a question. It'll free up my guys' time to focus on what they need to focus on. And then I can have those candid conversations that 
need to happen between me and the customer, not necessarily my employees and the customer, and say, hey, Bob, dude, nothing's changed in the past 20 minutes. This isn't a science, as everybody thinks it's a science, but it's not, okay? Just because there's a fault code doesn't, there's no arrow that just says turn this switch here and it's done. Um, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into this. And then I'll, I'll teach them. I'll pull them out there to the truck and I'll say, okay, tell me where you think the problem is. Here's the paperwork. Tell I'll me where it hurts. You. I'll explain <laughs> you that. Tell me how the bad man touched you. I know what you mean. And, and they get it. But a lot of people just give them flack back and they just sometimes like to just give flack back. And sometimes it's just easier to break them down and say, look, man, this is a class eight shop. You rolled in to my shop and you were seen within an hour. You were pulled into a bay within an hour. That is unheard of. And if you don't believe me, we can pick up the phone right now. We can call five dealerships nearby and see when's the soonest someone can see you. And nine times out of 10, hey, they'll get humble. They'll start to realize, hey, okay, the guy's got me. Okay, and then if we mess up, you know, which is going to happen because you're juggling 4,000 things at once. Hey, we just own up to it. Hey, man, I, I, I did everything great, but I, I fucked up the end game. Sorry. Uh, I'll get this. I'll get someone on it right now to finish it up. I know I told you to be done today by 4. It's going to be done today at 8. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But I've asked someone to stay late. I'm paying overtime. We're going to get this thing fixed. We're going to get you back on the road making money is where I want you to be. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love all your business, but at the same time, my job is to keep you on the road making money. And... Man, some guys just need that talking to. They need that that resource, and I can't count how many times I got a. Well, I got a cell phone. I maybe have five friends that are in my inner circle, but I've got four thousand contacts in my phone, and I'll get mm-hmm. text messages. And can you help me? Can you find this? Can you remote into my truck and tell me what codes I got? What does this code mean? Hey, uh, what color does this code mean? And I'll help them. And if not, I'll give them a nice text message that says, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. This is probably not important right now. I'm spending time with my family. Um, but it's about balance. I mean, some, some of these guys, just like these employees and some of these, they just they were treated wrong and they were used and abused. And sadly, for our industry, for the longest, mechanics were villainized. We were all villainized as greedy liars and, and you know, the Johnson rod's broken and your flux capacitor needs new juice, you know. You need blinker fluid, you know. They, you know, even on TV, they they, they paint us as these these villains. And I have I no doubt. I have a story about blinker fluid. <laughs> Keep going, but I have a story about blinker fluid. And I have no doubt that that someone has used and abused them or taken them for a ride sometimes. Um, and so yeah, you got to break down those walls with them too, and you got to educate them. One thing I offer my customers is, you know what a, a regen is? Mm-hmm. Okay, so. What, whenever I start seeing customers come in with lots of uh, high soot level uh, codes and stuff like that on multiple trucks, I don't have to do this. It, co- it makes me no money, but I'll say, hey, look, get with your fleet manager, set a date and a time, and I'll come out with some donuts or whatever, and I'll give you a, your, your drivers a PowerPoint, and I'll walk them out and show them how to do manual regions and why they need to do manual regions and how all the different... I'll give you a I'll give training for a good hour to teach them how to properly take care of their vehicle. And it saves you money. If anything, I could just let them keep doing it, and I'd make money because they have to bring it to me every time for me to fix it. But that's not the relationship. The relationship is... Oh, you're building a relationship. 
And now you're building a relationship like with the team. That's the really cool. So this is the really insightful bit here. For any, any new leaders or, or wish to be leaders coming up, Nicholas has just given a really cool tidbit for you to take from. You get a squad of trucks that are frequently coming in or, or come in often enough with high soot levels. He's made an offer. He's like, let me come out to the team. Let me meet the team. I'll bring some donuts and I'll teach him how to do manual rejets. So that's doing many things, all of it huge investable things. So A, you're putting your face in front of the, the drivers and the team of, of, you know, well, just drivers. But now they know who you are. Now they're going to talk about you to the techs who perhaps, you know, do the basic stuff before they bring it to you. Or the operators that work around them, whatever it happens to be, who they know who you are. They know what brand you are. They know where your store is. They start to understand that you're investing in the trucks. A, also means that those drivers who rely on those trucks to work, make sure they're making money. Hey, he's taking care of me, making sure that I can, you know, get what I need to get done on a day and taking care of the truck so that I can rely on income. Three, you're that, that individual is going, hey, he doesn't have to do this. He's not making any money doing this. He's saving me money in downtime. I, this is the kind of business that I want to make sure that we're going to. We're going to go out of our way to schedule our stuff in advance. What kind of policies do you okay? How do we make sure that our trucks get serviced there when we need them serviced? All of those things, that's investment. Many don't understand the invaluable nature of a box of donuts sometimes. Right, and it's not necessarily the donuts; it's the it's the it's everything that goes along with it, right? And I have to tell you this because I got to get it off my chest. I haven't been able to say. I found out that the 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 level on Vipers actually had I didn't never knew this. It's actually liquid in there. It's actually blinkers. It's 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 literally. I I blew me away. It blew me away. I I worked on Vipers and I never I I never got to work on the lights for whatever reason. Just never came up. But it's actually got fluid in there. Anyway, everybody has that moment when they were first starting out and somebody got you. I remember to this day. they had just brought a new private in when I had just joined the army, and they messed with him. And they said they wanted an exhaust sample, and they were. They were I've never heard that one before. They wanted an exhaust sample. So in the past, what people have done is they would go get a trash bag, and they would put it over the exhaust, oh God. and they fill it up, okay. and they bring you an exhaust sample. This guy came back with this this ring, and we're like, "What the hell is this?" And it was on a Humvee. We were in the army. He had hacksawed off the end of the, the tailpipe, <laughs> and he found samples of like the carbon and stuff. Like, uh, it was the stupidest thing I had ever seen in my life. I don't remember laughing any harder in my life ever. Oh my Let's, goodness! Didn't mess with nobody any anymore after that. But I'll I will never forget this to that day. That dude was sweating too. He had the hacksaw in his hand. And he had the ring in the other hand. I was just like so proud dude. of himself too. And That's you when you know, know what? it's like common sense is just not too common sometimes. I mean, be but careful you know what, what? you so, I don't. I, you know what? I'm at a loss for words because I wanna I wanna try and say you know. 
some things can be taught and some things can't be taught and sometimes you can teach common sense and you gotta benefit the doubt but some people some people cannot and you have to be careful giving them a spoon you have to make sure that they're not around sharp items and it happens and we have to try and be empathetic to the situation around the folks because you, you have to be as empathetic as you can because some you know some aren't made for this trade you know as well as I do, some are not made for this trade, and it's okay as long as we help them transition in, help them transition into something that they can do that is safe for them sure. to do. Because at the end of the day, if we don't do that, they're going to hurt themselves, or they're going to hurt the team around them, or they're going to ha- or they're going to hurt customers. You got to identify it. Yep. You have to identify it, and as a leader, you have to learn to identify those things. So, that same guy put a dually uh, with only one tire, and he put the outside on it. He forgot to put the inside on it. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so... Get out of here with this. <laughs> he's, uh, he's definitely a few courts shy. He didn't make it. Let's just say he didn't make it as a mechanic very long. So No. It's, it's okay, though. It's okay. We have empathy for him. He is working in another field where he is not going to, to hurt himself or somebody around him, hopefully. And hopefully, yeah. We're doing our due diligence for our profession to ensure that we keep people safe. That is... Yep. First and paramount. Yep. Hacks. Okay. Let's... let's <laughs> let, there's lots of tidbits so far, but I want to make sure that we're very clear on the last one. What's your, what's your piece of advice? Like, because we, we've talked about how to get into leadership, some of the things that they need to learn to get into leadership if they want to be a leader. And we've talked about patience, we've talked about accountability, and we've talked about the army a bit, and we've talked about common sense isn't so common. What's your piece of advice to help technicians be happy? You truly got to – it's a hard one. You've you got to know what your goal is so that you can obtain it. And then you've got to know – you've got to set goals that are baby steps so that they're easily obtainable. If you, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. Like when my wife teaches Taekwondo, traditionally there is, there's white belt, yellow, orange, so on and so forth. With with children, it's hard for them to focus for that long period of time. And so what they did was they made subcategory belts in each of those belts so that they could get them, achieve them faster. Uh, hey, it's very easy to get down on yourself when you're not making it to where you think you should be making it. And the one thing you got to ask yourself is, did you set the bar too high? Um, maybe is there maybe there are some uh, goals that you've already obtained that you didn't realize because you were focused on that one. Uh, two phrases I heard that that I love: uh, just because he carries it well doesn't mean it's not heavy. It was, mm. it was a great one. That and is then, a great um, phrase. And then the other one was. Uh, you are now, you're you're worried about the future, but you are now in a moment in time where you once wished you were. I like that. So, I mean, there was a point in your time, there was a point in my time in my life where I wanted to be a service manager so bad or I wanted to be a branch manager so bad. And now who knows, you know, do I want to be a VP or do I want to retire? What, what What's my next goal? But... I'm now in a moment that I once died dreaming about. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I wanted to be in this position, and now I'm here. Hey, you know, you check the block and you move on. 
But yeah, I mean, whatever goals you have, make sure that you're willing to be humble and, and learn from somebody and listen from somebody and make sure you get the fire. It gives you the fire for what you want. Uh, I enjoy leading, but the biggest motivator that ever pushed me into management was two things. One, my friend's dad that I grew up with, he was a mechanic for a long time. And by the time he was 50, he didn't have the energy or the back or anything to do anything fun with his kids. He, you know, he was still mobile, but you know, he, he didn't get to live the life that he wanted to. He couldn't play football with his kids or run around with them. And I didn't want that for myself. And two, I've had enough, I had enough bad leaders in my life, uh, whether it was through incompetence, favoritism, just poor leadership, that said, you know what, I can do a better job myself, and I know if I can get to the top, I can take care of those properly underneath me. And that was those, those were the two big motivating factors for me to switch from turning wrenches to actually going into leadership. Um, and so the, the one thing I say is find your passion, because that's where the fire is going to be, and set obtainable goals so that you can... Setting obtainable Setting obtainable. obtainable goals is a really, really big deal. You, you, if you listen to any podcasts out there or any, read any books or listen to any lectures on anybody talking about leadership or bettering oneself, like personal self-help and stuff like that, many preach all kinds of things about stacking wins. No matter how you, how you phrase it, um, the, the stacking wins especially as first part of your day. Um, like, Bedros talks about it, Frizella talks about it, you know, GSD lists and, and, and so on and so forth. But they, it, if you set your goals in such a manner, they become more achievable the more you, the more you crush out the individual steps to the goal. So when I talk about goals, goals are, are, dream, goals are dreams with action steps. And this is where many goals fail because they don't get steps. It's like, I want to make $100,000. It's like, okay, that's a great goal. How are you going to get there? Right. Okay, well, step one as a mechanic, if, purely and simply as a mechanic, how do you go from never being a mechanic before to becoming a mechanic to making $100,000 a year as a mechanic? Well, step one is you need to be employed as a mechanic. That's step one. Step two is finding a high-value leader to employ you as a mechanic. Okay, step three, now you have to learn to be a mechanic. Okay, that, that now needs its own tree because training is an entire set of skill trees that you need to follow the steps in. Get your level one, get your level two, get your level three, get your level four. Training does, technical training does one branch. And then we can go down the pathway of, okay, what are the other things you need to learn in order to earn $100,000? Because the $100,000 is your shoot for the moon goal. But now what you started to create, as you, as you build out your action plan to the $100,000, you realize that you're actually making small micro goals to get there. Achievable goals. Absolutely. It's very achievable and very easy to go from level one to level two in technical training. Technical training with a brand in any brand is like, okay... There is 15 trainings that I need to complete in order to get from level one to level two. And this is the order that I have to do them in. They are all online. They all take eight hours. 15 times eight is what, 120 hours? 120 hours of training. There's 12 months in the year. If I do 10 hours of training every month, I'll be done. 
That's incremental steps. Okay, 10 hours a month means one hour a day, 10 days a month. That's really small. That's easy. Ba-ba-ba-boom. An hour, an hour, an hour. And easily, we've now taken $100,000 and we've now started with one hour increments of technical training. Doesn't seem so bad. Doesn't seem so bad. Now it will get much more difficult later on because you get level three, level four training. Now you go off-site. Those are different. You have to involve leaderships. Like, okay, I need my level four training. How do we get this done? Right? What other things... Now, we've talked about leadership training. Leadership training doesn't necessarily just get you leadership. Right? If you're talking about a $100,000 goal, okay, I need productivity. How do I figure out my... Hey, I'm over here. Journal. Journal. That's step, step one in my camp. But... The next step is now that you've you, you, little small goals into your training, little small goals into other ways to learn. Okay, learn how to communicate better. Learn how to write better. Learn to write better I lost you, bud. Oh, there we go. There we go. And you little incremental bits along the way in each. Make them individual and write them down. This is the, big, this is the other big one that I find in coaching. Nobody writes stuff down. Be Even if you don't journal. Too. Yes. Be a, be a, allow things to be fluid as much as you can, but write it down. Write he your may, small he steps may, down. You realize halfway through that maybe he'll want to be an instructor. Right. I, 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 hey, the goal is still a hundred grand, right? But now you found your passion somewhere along the way, and it, or maybe you like, you know, whatever. Maybe you like outside sales. I don't know. Who knows? But you know, keep pushing for the goal, but don't give up on it. Just adapt it to where you need it to go. Um, that's a big thing I push to my guys is, hey, we're going to come up with a plan together to be successful. If it fails or we don't like it, we don't abandon the plan. We adapt it until we fine-tune it to right where it needs to be until, until it works perfectly. And I will say one thing the military taught me was to have an I Love Me book. That's what they call it. So it's an I Love Me book. It's where I put all my certificates, all my, uh, you know, when I went up for branch manager, I had built a slide deck basically detailing, you know, this is where we were when I started on net profit. This is where we are after. This is over a million dollar increase. This is where we were. Quantitative facts that show that this is what I produced. If I'm a tech, here's my efficiency. Here's my sales for the year. Here's my productivity. Um, No one wants to hear, I want this job because I'm great. It needs to be, I want this job or I want this next promotion. I want this next role because I produce this, 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 and this. I can tell you I'm great because I have quantitative data that shows that I'm producing and that I am the guy for the job. And mm-hmm. you don't even have to do all a bunch of tap-stepping and, and shucking and jiving. It, let it speak for itself. When you see the graph do this on every page, they're like, okay, the guy's got something. Okay, so that's the one of the things I did to my guys before I did the succession planning was I made them write their own PowerPoints. I, I will say it, and we're you've said it, you said it in a different way. I love me books. Okay, cool. We well, can phrase it as I love. It's a journal. It's write a journal. your shit down. It's just yeah. a journal. Write your shit down. Keep the journals. And guess what? It Nicholas is talking about quantitative information about yourself. It can be for yourself to improve yourself, or you can go, hey. I have the last four years of records of my productivity, what I've learned, all of my training, all of my certificates, all of when I learned it, how I learned it, how long it took me to learn it, 
what I did in the shop, what are the hard things I did in the shop, how I learned it, and how well I did over the last four years. Which inf piece of information would you like to hear about? Not, sure. I'm great. That's right. No, I'm worth more money. Okay. I want first shift. <laughs> I want... <laughs> exactly. I want 410. This is why. <laughs> right. So... Objective information, especially when it's written and documented, is far easier for you to sell yourself than anything else because I feel I'm worth more is not a great way to get a raise. Here are the last, here's the last nine months of information on what I've done and why I've done it. This is why I'm asking for a 5% increase, a 10% increase, whatever, 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 or why I'm coming to you, Mr. Potential New Employer, for... Uh, uh, not only a raise, but I'm looking for better hours, more flexibility. I want my own service truck. Da 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 da. Yep. And so on and so forth. And that's one thing as a leader too that I, I learned very quickly, and thank God MHC was empowering on it. Is if my employee ever has to ask me for a raise, I'm not doing my job. I have not either recognized their performance, or I have not communicated to them thoroughly that they are not deserving of a raise at this time, and thus need to work on X, Y, and Z. Some of those numbers we talked about, efficiency, productivity, your sales. Hey, let's work on those things, and we'll talk about it in six months. You know, But if they ever have to ask for it, that means you're not doing your job as a leader. And you I, see what I talked mean. about this at Tito's and T-Shirts. For anybody listening that hasn't watched one of the first episodes of, of the Renters podcast, go back to the very first episode. And it was when I stood up for my very first time in front of a crowd and talked about the average mechanic. And I said this in that talk. If a mechanic has to come to you and ask for a raise, you have a 50-50, you have a 50-50 chance that your answer means they're giving notice. Right then and there. Yep. You should never let it get that far. If they have to ask for a raise, you're not doing your job. If they have to ask for a raise, be ready for notice. That's right. Be ready for a notice. You know, we'll we'll schedule stuff here at MHC where some of our our hammers, they get I mean, they'll get a pay raise two, three times a year. Performance pay raise, merit increase. Oh, they just went. We just sent them off to Advanced Electrical Diagnostics for Kenworth, and they passed it with all the flying colors. Here's a dollar. You know, we take care of our guys, um, and it, and it's a mantra that we push out to everybody: is Hey, you know, we know they're a valuable asset. We don't want to cater to them. We want them to perform. We're a performance-based company, so when you perform, we reward you. And you shouldn't have to ask us for it. You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to kiss my butt or anything like that. Uh, that doesn't work. You go out there and you work and you be part of the team and you're the guy. You know, I got a guy back in Texarkana, and his name's Tyler Holman. This dude is a freaking all-star. He went straight from doing nothing but transmissions and rear ends to rebuilding transmissions to rebuilding engines to, I mean, just and then mentoring guys from the ground up. We had a guy named Frank who started. This guy couldn't change the oil in a lawnmower. I mean, just <laughs> as, I mean, we're talking as green as can be. And I've got a bunch of old country boys as my technicians. And I walked up to my boss. I was like, dude, the kid's humble. I think he's got what it takes. But he's so docile. I was like, I, I think they'll eat him alive. And it was like the, the craziest thing. We hired him, gave him a shot, and... The guys that I worried about, like, 
giving them hell, the guys who stir the pot like all the damn time. I mean, these guys were thick as thieves. They all surrounded him. And within two years, he was almost, he's doing almost everything that that other guy was doing. And I mean, he probably went through six to eight dollars with the pay raises in two years. I mean, you're I talking, think that's, the guy who didn't know nothing. The way, you, the way you've described that now, so there's two things in there. And anybody listening who's just getting into the trade should take something really important away from this. Two things. Docile doesn't mean weak. One. Two. Nicholas said humble. Not weak. Docile, meaning listening. And two, humble, which means respect. So if you keep your fucking mouth shut and you listen and you are respectful of those around you, things accelerate quickly learning accelerates respect accelerates pay accelerates with listening and respect it goes a very very long way and it i cannot express how quickly it accelerates things i remember going back a number of years to the chrysler store one of them and we had I want to say there was two co-op students, and I think at the time there was like four or five apprentices, four anyway, and the one apprentice that kept his mouth shut but was always listening, and for a small or short period of time, he was, because he had just come off being a co-op student and was now like, they signed him up to be an apprentice, and you never really knew what he was thinking, like, just me getting introduced to him, sort of understand. And then after about three months, you see him working with every tech in the shop, and I, I get to work with him every once in a while. Doesn't say much, but he's always attentive. Like, always, always listening. You could tell he was always listening. And then one day, you just see him working. And it's like he's been doing it for a long time. He's not really been doing it for very long. Maybe start, like, every once in a while, people will let him, you know, turn the wrench on this and drain the oil out of that and, you know, really, really simple stuff. And all of a sudden, he's just working. And he's working with tech across, my, my bay mate, he's working with the, the tech across the hall or tech down, and I'm just seeing him, and, I'm, and he's working. And it's like he's been doing it for a really long time. And then you realize... He has absolutely 100% watching and observing and listening to everyone. He's lifting tires properly. He's taking tires off quickly. He is holding the wrench properly when doing a particular job. He's using the impact gun properly. He's holding his weight properly. And you see it. This individual has been listening and respecting everyone around him and watching accelerated learning with patience listening and respect amazing very true very true well Nicholas it's been a pleasure I appreciate your time your energy your effort your leadership your service and your service yeah do do you have any questions do you have any anything you want to get out there no, I just I think us as leaders, we just need to do better as, as a whole. Um, 
Uh, it's no grandstanding or anything. You know, just take care of your employees. Give them the best, give your best employee experience, best customer experience, and everything will go great. And those of you who are looking to become leaders, for whatever reason, whether it's one like mine where you just were using abuse and you feel you can do it better, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you went and what you went through uh, to get where you are. Don't don't let the arrogance creep in. Keep it very casual. When I walk around the store, I let everybody know uh, that I'm I'm just one of them. Yes, I'll have the final say on some things, but at the end of the day, we're all part of the team together. Um, it doesn't have to be an arrogance thing. You can have fun and still lead. And you. If you have to tell people your your title or your role, you're not a leader. 100%. You, have, you don't have to remind anybody that what your position is. They already know. So that's all I can say. Is, that's all I can say. Awesome. That's a that's a that's a great way to finish. Oh no! That's the end of another episode, wrenches. Well, that's okay because there'll be another one coming next week. I appreciate you all very much. I really hope you enjoyed episode with Nicholas today and I hope you subscribe and folks as usual we end a one-to-one -one interview on the registrar's podcast with a quote peace cannot be kept by force it can only be achieved by understanding Albert Einstein remember folks negative pushes positive pulls and always clean your toys before you put them away